Dear Mr. Shea, thank you for allowing me to host the You Can't Cancel Christmas podcast for Walk 97.5. I appreciate the trust and faith you've placed in me to protect your brand and share my excitement for the holiday season with your listeners. As we discussed, the cornerstone of the series is the story of my family and the Christmas Eves we celebrated together when I was a child. I look forward to being able to tell that story in the same way that I've been telling it for most of my life. I've put a lot of effort into developing a way to tell the story that effectively communicates how many elements of my personality, especially the ones of which I'm most proud, can be traced directly back to those Christmas Eves. I understand that I have to expand the story so that it lasts more than just one episode. I think the idea to make it a limited series makes sense just because there are so many aspects of the holiday season that can be highlighted. In a way, I will endeavor to use the additional topics we discussed to build excitement and interest on the way to the final episode, which will be the Christmas Eve story. That buildup can reflect the actual buildup of the excitement that I would feel in the weeks leading up to Christmas as a kid. In fact, part of the residual effect of those wonderful nights is that I still feel a similar buildup today. Even as an adult, there is magic to the season that keeps me going all year long. I've written one episode in the series to focus only on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. There's no doubt that that story has had a similar impact on my life, and it is as much a part of my celebration of the season as my family's Christmas Eves. I've become a student of the story, and I'm a fan of all different adaptations. There are a few key parts that I would like to highlight, and I've crafted a creative way to work it into the series. It's my favorite story, and one that I feel that stands out when measured against all the wonderful stories Mr. Dickens gave to the world. I hope my idea for this episode stands out amongst the others in a similar way. Yours truly, with Extra Mayo, Big Mike Sanjamo. You Can't Cancel Christmas, a limited series from Long Island's holiday music station, Walk 97.5. When I sat down to write this episode, I came up with many different ways to present my idea. The first idea that really got me excited was the idea to read a letter that I had written to Charles Dickens' great-great-grandson, Gerald Dickens, about one of his upcoming one-man show performances. Gerald Dickens brings his grandfather's tale to life in such a way that it's probably the closest thing to what it must have been like to watch Charles Dickens do it back in the 1800s. But since the letter was written years ago, before this podcast was even an idea, reading the letter didn't really make a whole lot of sense. I thought about rewriting the letter so that it would make sense, and then I abandoned the whole idea of reading the letter entirely. This forced me to reevaluate what it was that I was trying to say about A Christmas Carol. In a way, the Dickens classic is similar to my family's Christmas Eve celebrations from my childhood. 
it's not exactly apples to apples, but both experiences are things that played an important part in my life at a very young age. And both are things that I point to when I credit things that shaped me into the man I am today. And I'm proud of that. But just like I know I'm not the only person that summons the magic of Christmas Eve's past to offer a guiding light in their daily lives, I know I'm not the only person that was profoundly affected by Charles Dickens' story. But all these similarities aside, what is the point that I'm trying to make about A Christmas Carol? Why do I consider it to be my favorite story of all time? What am I trying to convey to someone that already knows the story or has seen one of the adaptations or has become a student of it the way that I have? I believe the most basic point of the story, to me, in my heart, is that the most valuable quality a human being can possess is empathy. And the most valuable gift a human being can give is love. When I think about Jacob Marley in any adaptation, talking to Scrooge about the regrets he has in his heart about his time on earth, he says, mankind should have been my business, charity, goodwill, kindness. Don't be like me. Make a change while you still can. Make a change while there's still time. I took it so literally as a kid, and I still take it so literally today. I'm not saying that I'm some selfless philanthropist and I donate 75% of all my income to charities, but I do believe that I've grown into a very generous person. And I think that part of the reason, if not most of the reason, can probably be traced back to that story. I also think that while the primary message of the story can be relayed by a quick description of the plot and the main characters, I believe there is so much more in the story that rarely gets discussed. The other elements of the story are so fascinating to me and are probably the main reason why I consume so many different adaptations and reread the book each year. There are too many to cover in the time we have on this episode, but the ones that stick out most in my mind are not centered around any of the main characters. There's one scene that rarely gets used in most adaptations. It's only a few lines just before Jacob Marley departs in visiting Scrooge. Everyone knows that Marley shows up to tell Scrooge that he has to change his ways or he'll be doomed. And Jacob will be sending three spirits to help Scrooge realize the errors of his ways. But there's a moment where it's revealed that Jacob Marley and the three ghosts are not the only spirits in the story. When Scrooge looks out his window during Marley's visit, he sees many spirits out in the London streets. He sees them and he sees the pain in their eyes as they try to offer help 
and try to offer comfort to others, but they can't. To me, this is one of the most powerful moments in the story. Almost everyone focuses on the chains, the chains that Scrooge would have to carry, which would be heavier than the chains Jacob Marley has, if Scrooge doesn't change his ways. But Dickens communicates to us that the real burden would not actually be the weight of the chains, or at least I feel that way. The chains are intended to give context to the immeasurable burden of having the desire to help, but no ability to do so. I don't think the chains are inconsequential, but I do believe the weight of the chains would be nothing compared to the pain of now having the desire to offer comfort and the desire to offer assistance and the need to help but not being able to do it. I don't have a good reason or a good explanation for why this particular scene in the book has had such an impact on me, but I guess I must have some deep-seated fear of regret. Maybe I'm more worried than I realize about being in a situation where I could have done something one way, but I did it another way, and something negative happened as a result, and then living with the outcome, and what's more, living with the inability to make it right. I just don't know why I would feel that way. Each year, I think and rethink about this part of the story, its impact on me, and I always wonder why it seemingly gets brushed aside in most adaptations. I understand that most storytelling is exactly that. It's a story with the mechanics of protagonists and antagonists and pacings, and there's climaxes and resolutions, all things that need to be considered when trying to tell someone the idea of retelling the story that almost everybody already knows. But to me, that is the true genius of Dickens. That's the true genius of the story. Like many great authors, Dickens crafted a story that is both simple and complex. It's entertaining and educational with just enough superficial elements to move everyone who reads it, but with many hidden gems built in to continuously engage those readers like me who found the elements and believed them to be profound. The other part of the story that speaks to me personally concerns this topic. I believe Scrooge was not the only person to receive visits from the ghosts of Christmas. There are numerous examples in some of the adaptations of the story that allude to the idea and other examples that explain it outright. But since it's hard to point to interpretation as an example of what Charles Dickens had in mind, I believe this is another carefully crafted Easter egg that Dickens built into the story. In most versions of the book, the ghost of Christmas present references his brothers, of which he had more than 1,800. He also says that his time upon the earth is very short, 
and it ends tonight at midnight. I believe this means that there must have been a reason for all the other ghosts of Christmas present. Perhaps someone gets visited every year. Perhaps someone gets saved every year. I found this idea intriguing. It also filled me with a lot of hope and idealism. As a child, I saw this transformation as crucial to Scrooge's life and the lives of everyone he knew. But even as a kid, I knew that one person in one town, in one place in the world, might be a wonderful thing, but not very notable on a global scale. Sure, Scrooge went on to change the lives of the Cratchits and his nephew, and if you follow the story and assume the goodness within him spread the way Dickens suggested, the whole town may have come to benefit from Scrooge's transformation. But how far would those ripples of kindness and charity actually spread? What if others get the chance to change the way Scrooge did? What if someone else in the book got the chance to change and didn't? There's a wonderful book called Jacob T. Marley by R. William Bennett, and it deals with that topic. And I would love to talk more about Mr. Bennett's work and how much I loved his book. But I don't think we need to look beyond the pages of A Christmas Carol to find an example of another character getting visited by the spirits, being given the chance to change, and changing before Ebenezer Scrooge. This element is included in many adaptations, but not all. And every time the scene is recreated, it's treated like a glance over. But for some reason, it's always stuck out to me as very obvious. I think Scrooge's father was visited by the spirits. There's a scene where Scrooge is with the ghost of Christmas past. They're at a boarding school where all the other children have gone home for Christmas, but Scrooge was left behind, left forgotten, until his sister, Fan, comes to collect him. She says, Father has changed. He's so much kinder than he used to be. One line. That one line has fascinated me for as long as I can remember. Was it Dickens' intention to suggest that Scrooge was a product of his father, and thus he was destined to be a mean miser the way you're supposed to assume he was? Or do most people read this and assume that the change in Ebenezer's father's demeanor had nothing to do with the ghosts of Christmas? I feel like this idea sticks out to me because of my feelings about my father. When I started this expanded journey of telling the story of my family's Christmas Eve celebrations, I mentioned that my father would become a central character. But now that I'm here at the moment of truth, I realize that there's not a lot that I could put into words. There's not a lot that I could add with details, and there really isn't a good way of explaining the comparisons. The reality is that no one can know for sure if Charles Dickens intended for us to put much thought into Scrooge's relationship with his father. 
or too much thought into how this relationship might have affected Scrooge. Maybe we're all supposed to assume that Scrooge's relationship with his father was similar to most father-son relationships. My father is woven into all of my thoughts and feelings about A Christmas Carol. Kind of the same way he's woven into all my thoughts and feelings about Christmas Eve. He doesn't have a starring role in either of these two things that have influenced so much of who I am as a man. But he is as much a part of them as any other part. He is as much a part of me as any other part. Does that mean Scrooge's father was probably as much a part of him as every other part? And his father's meanness and ability to change are just as much a part of Scrooge as well. There are so many aspects of A Christmas Carol that can be discussed. I've read books where they analyze A Christmas Carol as a book about economics, as a book about politics, as a book about faith. It's all of those things. But for me, it's a book about the value of love and kindness. And if the passion and excitement I try to bring to everything I do comes from my family's Christmas Eve celebrations, the kindness, the friendship, the empathy, and the love that comes along with me comes from lessons that I learned by reading a book called A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Dear Mr. Dickens, I just purchased tickets to one of your upcoming performances of A Christmas Carol at the Black Rock Church next month. I'm very excited to experience the show again, and my hope is to make it a new annual tradition. I was wondering if you thought about your interpretation of your great-great-grandfather's work as a separate adaptation of the story entirely, or if you feel that it's closer to Charles Dickens' original vision since you are one of his direct descendants. I only ask because I'm often fascinated by what parts are left in or left out of a particular adaptation and how those decisions by the producer or screenwriter tell a story as well. Most adaptations contain the classic elements of the miser, the cautionary tale of the deceased colleague, and the visits from the three spirits, but I seem to have become curious with other, more intricate parts of the story that are often omitted in most adaptations. This curiosity has made me conclude that there are all the reasons why your great-great-grandfather's story is my favorite story of all time. It's not just the messaging and the love contained within it. It's the versatility and the simplicity that the tale has built in it. The social issues and personal topics that it deals with are serious for certain, but every time I watch Mickey's Christmas Carol, I'm amazed by how easily the story was adapted for a child's mind to consume. But 
not only consume, but to understand. And not only to understand, but to leave a lasting impression. I'm fully aware that I might be a little different in the way that I interpret things as a child, but I absorbed many books and TV shows through an oddly literal lens when I was younger. I don't know the reason why, but when I watched Goofy playing the role of Jacob Marley tell Scrooge that he was wrong, mankind should have been his business, I believed him. When I got a little older, I read the actual book for the first time, and it was then that I noticed many different parts of the story that were not included in the other tellings I had consumed to that point. This was an epiphany for me. I was shocked by the idea that this wonderful story that was introduced to me by Mickey Mouse when I was very, very young was also the same story as this moving, complex, heartwarming, and sometimes heartbreaking story that I just read in the novel. I'm working for a radio station now, and I would love the opportunity to interview you and discuss this epiphany in more detail. I hope you'll grant me this chance because the best way for me to convey my passion about your grandfather's story is through conversation. I would try to demonstrate it through a written letter, but I'm no Charles Dickens. I hope you find that as humorous when you read it as I did when I wrote it. Thanks again for your time. I look forward to seeing you soon. Yours truly, with Extra Mayo, Big Mike Sanjamo. Big Mike from the Big Mike Radio Program Podcast, live and in living color. This is a very special moment. I've been waiting for this ever since I even heard that you existed. Because to be honest with you, as big a fan of A Christmas Carol as I am, it is my favorite story of all time, not just my favorite Christmas story. Okay. Uh, I was researching where can I see a really great uh, performance of A Christmas Carol, and your name came popping up. And when I realized who you were and your, uh, and the, your distinction and your performance being world-renowned, uh, I had to come see it, and I saw you last year in Virginia. And I actually checked for tickets in Virginia to take a little, take a little trip, yeah, yeah. but I believe it's sold out. Oh, way. So I was able to snag a ticket here. I took a day off of work uh, and come up here, and I welcome the one, the only, Gerald Dickens, how are you? I am very well. After an intro like that, I, <laughs> that is very generous of you. Thank you. Do you get a lot of uh, local media coverage when you come from town to town? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, like any media, um, it, it tends to, to be more if I'm going to somewhere for the first time. Mm. You know, a lot of outlets don't like to repeat a story year on year, even if it's a good news story. Well, quite often, especially if it's a good news story, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, for instance, uh, a few days ago I was in Portland, Maine, um, and that was following right in the footsteps of Dickens who had been there himself. So that generated a lot of media and lots of TV and lots of radio and lots of print. Now, you so refer to him as, as Dickens. Dickens. You don't refer yeah. to him as great-great-grandpappy? Yeah, he's such a great being. You know, it, it's very difficult to, to, for me to, to regard him as a... 
a member of my family. I mean, he is Dickens. He is yeah. Charles Dickens. Um, and, beloved, yeah, absolutely, absolutely beloved by people so, who so, read literature all over the world. So, so I, I still sort of regard him with that reverence. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So speaking of the tour, is there anywhere that you haven't been that you're just looking for an opportunity to perform? Because it seems like almost every place is going to have some sort of Dickens festival or a, an opportunity to perform. Where there, haven't you been that you'd love to go? There are Dickens festivals all over the place. Um, the, the, the Northwest is lacking from my... my um, my scrapbook, so I'd love to get up to uh, Oregon. Uh, that's, that's a state. My, um, my mother's family, um, uh, my great-great-grandfather from my mother's family actually settled in Oregon, did the whole Oregon Trail west from Missouri to... So that, that would be good. Um, and the, the rest is all, all utterly selfish. So there's places I'd, I'd, I'd go on vacation. That's so okay. I, I, I want to go to Niagara, I want to do the Grand Canyon, so I need to do Arizona, and <laughs> all and this kind of thing. Do you perform A Christmas Carol all year round, or is it, this is, uh, you only do it for a couple of months it, around It's mainly, mainly Christmas. I have a repertoire of about 12 different shows mm-hmm. that I perform back in England for the rest of the year. All one-man shows, all based on Dickens. Um, some others based on the novels, some on the short stories he wrote, some biographical shows that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I keep busy all year round. Do you remember the first time uh, reading the story or watching the story of whatever adaptation and, and having it be before realizing that I am related to the, yeah. the Charles Dickens? It, it was read to us by my uncle one Christmas Eve. My uncle and his children were staying with us and my cousins. And we were all of a similar age. So we were in our bedroom on Christmas Eve and my uncle read A Christmas Carol. And and I, I I guess I did know we related to, to Charles Dickens, but I what what got me was the story itself, and what really left an impression. And this is the one point in the story I always try to capture, is that when Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning, it's all been done in one night. You know, because the because spirits can do anything they the want. Spirits can do anything they want. Of course they can. And and that's the magic. That's the magic. Because at the beginning, we're told it's going to be three days, three complete days. Marley says the first ghost will come tonight, the second ghost will come the next night, the third one will come the next night. But it doesn't. It's all in one night. So so that's what I remember. I actually remember, uh, because the first adaptation I had seen was, and it's my favorite, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. Uh, And they do it all in one night. And then I would read the book and think, wow, they really made Mm. some serious changes. (laughs) uh, and I, this is a once in a lifetime, uh, once in a lifetime opportunity to speak with you. So, uh, rec- uh, last week I did see the man who invented Christmas, okay. the movie. Had you had a, a chance have, to see I, it? Yet? I saw it on What did you think? Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought all the performances were great. They they, they took a lot of the facts and exaggerated them mm-hmm. a huge yeah. amount. Mm-hmm. They, it's sort of a bit Hollywoodized. Um, but the basic premise of the story is correct. Dickens was struggling for money that Christmas, not to the extent it shows in the movie. He wasn't wreathed in debt on all sides. Mm. Um, but he, he, he was worried about money. His previous book hadn't been selling Done well. So well. Um, that was Chuzzlewit. He ha- it, it, I think it mentions that he was giving a speech on behalf of the poor, um, mm. which did happen. Um, he was giving a speech uh, in Manchester in England about looking after the children of working men. And, and his, his point being that if you, if you don't educate if you don't give the the children a chance to be educated then society's not going anywhere so he made a speech about that and as he was doing it he suddenly thought hang on i can do so much more just by writing a book rather than giving speeches and writing pamphlets that's what i'll do and it'll also help me in the short term 
get my popularity back up. I think that was the point, actually. It was, he was worried his popularity was waning, mm. not, not so much the financial side of it. Um, so the movie takes all that and, and deals with it, and that's all true. Um, what about the quickness in which the movie depicts that he wrote it? That's absolutely it's, true. It's, it's true. Six weeks, flat out. Wild. He, he gave that speech in Manchester on October the 5th, and it was published on December 19th, I think. Um, and it looked like he really had a struggle to get it published and get it printed and get yeah, it out. And, and, and also and it was received that's, well. That's also true that he he was going to he went to his original publishers Chapman and Hall, and they said, "Well, we can't get it done for the mm. cost you want," um, because Dickens wanted it to be a beautiful book with mm. a leather cover and gold and yeah. hand illustrated, um, coloured uh, illustrations, all of that. But he also wanted to sell it very cheaply. Mm. Um, so everybody could have it. And yeah. the publisher said, no, you know, that's not business. Uh, that, that's not going to work. So Dickens funded the whole thing himself. He, 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 he used the, the same publishers, but it was on a commission basis. He paid them to produce it. So that's all true. Um, yeah. I, I will warn you, uh, I am usually overtaken by emotion uh, in, <laughs> in performances and, and watching because it's such an impactful story. Uh, I didn't really mm. get a co- overcome by emotion in the movie no. uh, until the very end when the words come on the screen that explain Charles Dickens changed the way we think about Christmas. And that is something I hadn't really considered until seeing that movie. I didn't really, to me, it was this charitable thing. It was always about goodwill towards men, and it seems like he really had a serious impact on the way people experienced Christmas. Christmas was changing. Dickens didn't change it. It was changing at that time, mainly because of um, Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's husband, Mm -hmm who had come over from Germany, and he brought a lot of Germanic traditions into Britain. So the, the, the idea of bringing a Christmas tree inside and decorating it, mm-hmm. the idea of giving gifts, the idea of it being a sort of big, joyful celebration, as whereas in the past it had been a very sort of quiet religious festival and not, not something that people really celebrated. So Christmas was changing. Dickens was on hand to capture it. Right place at the right time. Right place, right time, right person. And... and popularized it and sort of publicized it. Um, the same year Christmas Carol was written was the, the, the same year that the very first Christmas card was published. Okay. So everything yeah. was happening. Everything was changing. It was a big time yeah. for Christmas back and, then. And, and Dickens was on the scene. I, I have a couple of questions regarding the story itself, because mm-hmm. obviously if you consume many different adaptations of the story and read and reread it and listen to it on audiobook and so forth, uh, certain things jump out. One of them, uh, I've been dying to ask you this question since... Uh, last Mm -hmm. year. There is a specific part of the story that I feel in most adaptations is not focused on at all Mm -hmm. or not Mm -hmm. enough. And it is during the visit from Marley. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before Marley departs, there's there's a point where Scrooge looks outside his window Mm. and he sees... uh, Thousands of other spirits spirits, uh, trying to help Mm-hmm. Uh, the the woman with the child yeah, or yeah. the beggar on the street and so forth, and because in, in their in their death, aside from being bound with the chains, they are they are trying they want to help but they can't, and I feel like that is almost more powerful than the fact that you're just going to have you're going to be burdened yeah, with these yeah. chains. It, that seems like so much more of a it, burden. It, what it's a think? wonderful passage, and sadly, it's not in my adaptation either. Um, <laughs> but, um, and and the, the problem is, I reread the but book. But not, not everybody is, know, very, is, very is moved by that. But I feel I, like not I everybody moved it that way. And the, the point about that scene, and, and what you're 
what you're spotting, and, and a lot of adaptations don't get, is that the, that the reformation of Scrooge begins right at the beginning. Mm. You know, so many versions play it that Scrooge is a horrible, nasty, mean old man, and he stays horrible, through. nasty, mean. And then he gets frightened by the ghost of the gum. Yeah, yeah. And then he changes. Yeah. And that doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't. And it comes right, right back. You're, you're, you're right. I mean, it takes almost when he sees Marley's face in the door knocker, but, but certainly that scene when he sees the. Um, the, the air filled with spirits, and, and he, he, he makes a lovely allusion to um, to some being chained together. They might have been governments. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and and they're trying to help the the, the, the lady with the child. You're right. To, to me, and that is yeah. The, aside from the burden of the chains, yeah. the 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 because I feel my family did a really good job of teaching me the lessons of 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 Christmas mm-hmm. well. And, and when I I'm sometimes I'm blown away thinking about. I'm probably only remembering four or five days of my life. Right. Four or five Christmas Eves where I was completely turned into this excitable young man, and it's impacted every day of my life. Yeah. I'm 38 yeah. years old now. It, it, it really affects me every single day it's that I live. It's extraordinary thought that it's actually only four or five days all, of your That's life. all no, we're no, talking that's, about. That's an amazing thing. When the magic was yeah. there, yeah. and the magic was there. That's an amazing thing. I was listening to Sir Patrick Stewart's version mm-hmm. of A Christmas Carol, and something also hit me that I'm not sure anybody else might have... Uh, I don't know if anybody else ponders this. When he's in The Ghost of Christmas Past and his sister comes to see him and explains that father has changed. Father was mean, and now father... He's, you love him now. He, he wants you to come back. Mm. Do you think Scrooge's father might have been visited by three spirits? I don't know. That's an interesting one. It, it, it always has fascinated me, the backstory behind that line. Yeah, it. it kind I like of, to think he. There's, there's he an did. undertone that that home has been a very, very dark, hard place. There's an undertone of, of sort of physical abuse or brutality in the background somewhere yeah. there. And something has changed. And something has changed. It's a fascinating little backstory. Coming up, the smells. The sounds, the tastes, and the memories of Christmas Eve as we wait for Santa Claus on the next You Can't Cancel Christmas.